Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. The scripture reading for today is from Romans chapter 12, verses 2 to 10, and 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And if I speak with the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. This is the word of God. Amen. Romans 12, 2 through 10, and 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, from one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is (laughs) prosifying, then (laughs) prosifying. Prophesy in accordance with your your faith. 
If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. And if it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. It's the word of the Lord. Uh, I appreciate you letting me be able to read that again because I love this text. This is a beautiful text, and I'm thankful for all of you who are here. Most of you in this room, I think, I can say this, fall into one of three categories. Let me know if I'm right on this. One, some of you are committed Christians. You know what you believe. Maybe you believe for a long time. But some of you in that group, even though you intellectually believe, many of you have told me, I I, I believe, but I don't feel his presence. I don't have that experience. Others of you in this room, you definitely know that you don't believe in Jesus. Maybe a friend brought you here. Maybe you're just curious. Maybe... Uh, you're seeking. For everybody else, you're somewhere in between. You are uh, not necessarily fully convinced or fully unconvinced. You don't know what you believe, and you're trying to figure it out. For every single one of us, for all groups, I think it's safe to say what I want you to know before we begin is what Christianity is about. It's not just ethical precepts. It's not just follow rules, and then you get into heaven. Whatever Christianity is about, that is not it. Instead, there's something about the faith that is about a changed life. It's about an experience. It's about seeing and, and living out in a completely different way. And we're told in this text it's achieved through the Holy Spirit. We've been doing a little mini-series on the Holy Spirit. And today, what we're going to see is that Paul treats the gifts of the Spirit as something so important that it affects how we live out the Christian life. Look at verse 2. In verse 2, he says, if you can pull it up on your phone, that would be great as well. What he says is, the gifts are so critical to understanding who you are, it's how you do not fall into the pattern of being conformed to the world, but actually living out being transformed. That's how important they are. Gifts are that good. And he tries to use this image, this image of a body, right, where a physical body is one, we're one, but then there's different members, there's different aspects uh, and, you know, in other places he says the, you know, the ear can't say to the hand, you don't matter. And then that, that's how he uses that as the basis for why there's going to be different types of gifts in the body. We should expect different gifts. This is in verse 6. Commentaries, by the way, point out, and the reason why I put in this First Corinthians passage is because there are a lot of similarities to how Paul talks to both churches, the Roman church and the Corinthian church. And he says, in both cases, that even though the gifts have often been spaces that divide people out, they're so important for you to know what your gift is and to use it. That's why he takes all this time to talk about how we should understand gifts, that gifts are good. And so that's our task today. What I want want us to know is that for us to move forward— no matter what you believe, no matter where you are in those categories, we need, 
if we're going to love this city, if we're going to encourage other people, if we're going to live out truly authentic lives, not despising anybody, accepting everybody, and cherishing all gifts, holding on to everybody, then we need to figure out how to do this well. So three points today. One, how do gifts cause problems? How do they cause problems? Two, what can we do to help? And then three, what ultimately will work? So first thing is how do gifts cause problems? Secondly, then what can we do to help? What's a help? And then thirdly, what ultimately will work? So first, how do gifts cause problems? You say, where do you see that, Mike? Well, the very fact that Paul is in this letter, that's the meeting we have here, that he needs to be so precise. And he does this, by the way, not just in this one, but in multiple letters to multiple churches, giving out multiple lists of the gifts. It shows that there were problems. The reason why you have to talk about how there's one body and many members, this idea of unity and diversity, diversity and unity, the reason why he's even using that concept is because of the tension. And now Paul, by the way, doesn't challenge gifts. This is important. And he lists some pretty supernatural ones. The idea that you can speak in languages that you might not have learned. The ability to fathom in in 1 Corinthians, that you can fathom all mysteries And all knowledge that you can have that gift. That's amazing. And yet, the context of both these passages, he still feels the need to say what he says in verse 3, which is don't think of yourself too highly. Now, I don't know about you, but if you don't think of yourself too highly, nobody tends to tell you that. You tend to only tell somebody, don't think of yourself too highly because you're thinking of yourself too highly. In Corinthians, he says... You can have all these gifts, and he uses this really interesting phrase. He says, and yet you're nothing. Right after this text, this is the the most, if you want to, you know, pop quiz. At weddings, what's the most quoted passage in all weddings in America today? It's right after this text. It's this idea that, you know, love is kind and love is patient. That's That's the passage right after ours. And we all go, oh, that's so sweet. Oh, I love that passage. It talks about, you know, how loving all this love is. This is so great. And yet, Paul, when he was writing that, was not thinking about weddings. He was thinking about these people who weren't being loving. They were boasting. They weren't being kind. They were envying. And so what Paul is trying to say is you can be fluent in angel, and it means nothing. In fact, it's actually really harsh. If you read the actual text, he says not just it's nothing. He says you are nothing, potentially. And so this is the crucial point. That Paul believes that as good as gifts are, he thinks that you can have spiritual gifts and still not be a Christian. You can have a spiritual gift and do incredible things like visions and and signs and wonders and still be spiritually nothing. Now you should push back here and say, well, wait a second. How is that possible? How can you have a gift of the Spirit and not actually have the Spirit? How can you have the gifts of the Spirit but actually not be a believer? And we have lots of examples given to us in the Bible. Go to uh, 1 Samuel uh, 10. You have Saul, right, the king of, of Israel, who is literally anointed. It, I, I think I read in my um, quiet time recently that the Spirit rushed on him. It says there that the Spirit of God resided in, Paul, in Saul. And he did great things, and he did many wonderful things. And yet, it says that he never was fully a believer. Or go to Matthew chapter 10. What do you have there? In Matthew 10, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples, including Judas. And he says to them, quote, 
I give you authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And so Judas was sent out. He did these, these signs and miracles. He did great things. And yet, we know from the story, he was not a believer. This is why Jesus in Matthew 7 can say this phrase, many will come and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons? Did we not do great miracles in your name? And then he, I will tell them, still, I never knew you. There are lots of gifted people in this town. You live here long enough. There's a lot of gifted people. But you know, just because you're gifted doesn't mean you're not a jerk. In fact, what I found in this town is that often the most gifted people tend to be the most jerky because they're here because they can get away with it. You can be a gift and be a jerk. Because why? Because gifts are not grace. Gifts are good, but they're not grace. This is scary if we let ourselves sit in it because this is what it means. It means that you can be in a church and people can look at you as this spiritual great person with all these great gifts. That you can be someone who is an encourager. You can be somebody who's a teacher in the church and yet still not really rest in Jesus. The problem with the world, the, re, the pattern of the world, what's the world do? What is Paul saying in verse 2? He's saying the pattern is this. If you have gifts, if you uh, produce, if you make things, you get given things. But that's literally how our economy works. You do something, you get something. What you put in, you get out, supposedly. And yet, Paul's saying, that's actually not a sign that you really have the Spirit dwelling inside of you. And so you can actually come to our church. You can be part of the many activity clubs we have here. You can be part of the young adult ministry. You can go to a community group. You can be a leader in these spaces. And yet, Paul is saying, even if you, can think, even if you intellectually think you can call yourself a Christian, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are. You, you will actually still be. All your works, all the things that you do, will just be a resounding gong. And I love this image. If you ever hit a gong, it's loud. Everybody hears it. It reverberates. And then it's over. And it's gone. The gong is gone. And so what Paul is trying to get at is he wants us to say, what is really going on in our hearts? I mean, I love the, what, what he does in this text because the order is really important. As soon as he talks about gifts, why do you think Immediately after giving all these partial good lists of gifts, he launches in both our texts to start talking about love. And by the way, love is not the fuzzy-wuzzy feeling of, you know, American emotionalism. The love in, the, in the Paul's definition is spiritual love. It is a product of the Spirit. That, I wasn't here, but Bruce talked last week about the gifts of the, sorry, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all these things are, are, are fruit that comes up out of the heart because of the lodging and space of the Spirit. In other words, gifts of the Spirit are not evidence of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is evidence of the Spirit. And so before we move on, I want us to ask this question. Where have we maybe overvalued gifts and undervalued fruit? 
Where is it possible where when we get into a room, we seek out people who have gifts, they have good looks, they have things that they can offer us. We network with the people who actually we want to find, and with the people we don't want to find, we kind of, kind of get away from them. Where have we done that? But because we've done that, we've actually missed out people with fruit. See, the problem is, is that it takes a lot longer to uncover those virtues. Those virtues are not screaming in your face all the time. Where is it possible where maybe we've walked into a, a room and we've passed over how many amazing potential spouses because we've overlooked fruit for gifts? Where we've missed out on amazing friendships and amazing graces and amazing goodness because we've overvalued gifts over grace. That's point one. All right, now to point two. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. What can we do to help? What does Paul start doing? Well, almost immediately, verse 3 and 4, he says, Be sober-minded. In the NIV, he says, With sober judgment. And you know that word sobriety means the opposite of drunkenness. Drunkenness is what? Drunkenness is seeing things not as real. But sobriety means actually seeing things as reality. So this should be a virtue that New Yorkers love. Why? As a New Yorker, I love getting up in the morning and saying, I am an honest person. I like to be truthful and honest, and I'm going to tell it to your face. You know, the sin of New Yorkers are what? Rudeness. That's why we get the bad, that's the bad rap, right? If you go to other parts of the country, the, the virtue is hospitality, but the, the, the sin is fakeness. For us, the virtue is honesty, it's transparency, it's directness, but then the sin is rudeness because we're just going to tell it how it is. So we should like this virtue. When he says be sober-minded, he's saying be realistic, be based in reality. But the problem is, are we going to be sober-minded about ourselves? See, that's the key. He doesn't say to be sober-minded in general. He says, will you be sober-minded about yourself? Will you take the, the razor edge of your honesty and transparency that you love to apply to other people, and will you apply it to yourself? Now, as a New Yorker, I have to think, well, I like to think I am, but the data shows that we do not. There was a meta-study a couple years ago. Over a, they studied 124 studies, and they pulled them all together, and their conclusion, by studying what is called the better-than-average effect, is that nobody is actually sober-minded about themselves. Nobody's really fully honest about themselves. We tend to overestimate our abilities. So one example they gave is that when asked, are you a better-than-average driver, the majority of all people asked that question says yes, which is impossible, right? You can't, the majority of people can't be better than average. That's what average means. <laughs> or there was a study done where they interviewed 829,000 high school students as they were leaving high school. So these are 18-year-olds, 829,000 interviews. And they were asked to rank themselves in regards to having the, quote, ability to get along with each other. And 0% said they were below average. 
0%. In fact, 25% put themselves in the top 1% of being able to get along with everybody else. Which just shows you that it's just human to play up our abilities. It's human to need to latch on to something to say, I am better at least at this. I might not be better than that, but I'm better in this. And that actually is why gifts are so dangerous. Because they have the tendency to operate in our hearts as a dividing line. My mother, uh, a couple months ago, gave my, each one of my brothers the, uh, a, um, a, a devotional, a book. And in it, there was this entry that says something like this. It says, keep me from jealousy, even if you have to put a great work before someone else and a lesser work before me. And I'm thinking about this. It's a really scary thing to say. Literally, that means, it's a scary prayer. It means, hey, God, if it means that somebody else gets the glory, somebody else gets a greater work, put in front of me something less. Put in, in front of me my abilities less if it means it protects me from jealousy, if it protects me from hurt, if it protects me from superiority. That's a hard prayer to say. But that's what it means to be sober-minded. It means to sit in this realistic space about yourself and saying, it's okay if I don't have it all put together. It's okay if I'm not as great as I thought I was. It's okay to admit that and say that. And, this is, and the reason why Paul says that's better, it's better to have that view than to be looking to your gifts and to your talents and thinking you're okay, that maybe you're a Christian, that maybe then you're accepted, when really you have zero prayer life, really you don't tend to want to look at your Bible, that you can come on Sundays and say you're a Christian when literally there is no evidence of fruit in your life. Paul's saying, what? beware that you can speak angel and get gifts, and that is not a sign that you're in. So whatever you hear, if you're not a Christian here today, please see that Paul is not saying that's what it means. Get religious, use your gifts, and then you're in. No, he's saying the opposite. He's saying beware. That you can have all these things, and it's not actually a sign that you've been touched by the life of Jesus. At the same time, I want you to know this. There's also an encouragement here. It's buried, but there's an encouragement. The encouragement is this. If you find yourself today not getting noticed, if you find yourself today an individual who uh, is not on the in, but on the outs. Paul's saying that if you seek holiness, if you are faithful, there's greatness. In other words, you're not supposed to be looking for greatness. Look for faithfulness. Faithfulness is greatness. God doesn't call you. He's not calling you to be great. Look in the Bible. You don't see anything saying, <laughs> be, you know, the, 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 have all the gifts of the world. No. What he calls you to is, is faithfulness. And some people get recognized in the world, but most do not. And so it's hum- even though it might be humbling to care for a hard-to-love parent, and the world will never, ever see that, Paul's saying that's greatness. Even though you are, if you end up being a kind-hearted person, if you're kind-hearted, you're going to get overlooked by the world. And yet Paul is saying what might make you invisible to others makes you visible to me. There's greatness there. And so be sober-minded means to take heart, take an evaluative aspect to your own self. Be the New Yorker that you are out there, but be it inside to yourself with being honest.
So that's the first thing you can do. Now, last point. That's great. Good stuff. But that ultimately is not the fix. What ultimately will be the fix? Well, the hint is buried inside this word love. And we need to be careful. Because that word is thrown around churches, but it's thrown around outside in the world too. And the problem with English is that word love has a huge lexical range. Everybody talks about love. But most people talk about love as if it's like primarily an emotion or if it's a feeling. That's why people talk about they can fall into love. Like it's like a vat that you walk over here and you're, I've fallen into love. And then you can fall out of love. That's how most people think of love. But that, that is very different than how the Bible defines it. Biblically speaking, love actually has a lot of different terms in Greek. There's eros, right? That's, there's, uh, that's physical, sexual love. There's philos, right? There's brotherly love. But the word love in our text, both in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 and in verse 9, in Romans here, Romans 12, is this verse, sorry, is this word agape. Agape love is precisely the love that God has towards you. And it's not primarily a feeling. It's primarily an act of commitment. It is a contract. It is saying, I am going to be in it, and I'm here for you, and it'll never change. Which means, in some ways, when you read in the Bible about God's love, you almost need to do a translation in your head. You, when it looks in, in John 3, where it says, God so loved the world, you cannot say God had a feeling of emotion that, can, that he can fall in and out of. You can't do that. When it says God so loved the world, you need to at least translate it and say, well, God was so committed, he was so in it, that he gave his only begotten son. That's a better translation for us. And that means then, if someone says they love you, but they're not willing to sacrifice for you, they're not willing to be committed, they're not willing to stay, then they don't really love you. And vice versa. That word, we should not throw it around. When I was uh, nerdy and dweeby, because I'm not now, um, Before I married my wife, I would not say I love you because I was really so worried that if I say it and then I didn't actually live it out and commit to her and make that moment, then I would be lying. And that, you know, looking back, I don't think it, I mean, I might have been a little legalistic about that, but <laughs> it's so important for us to really realize the depth of what biblical love is saying. Because it sounds so simple, but there's infinite depth here. Because if you didn't just know in your head, but you really experienced real love, not just fuzzy feeling American emotionalism, but real service and commitment and care, agape love in your heart, Paul knows that's the only way, that's the only space where you're going to be able to use your gifts in a positive space, in a positive way. And so that's the question we need to ask. Where will you get unconditional love? Are you going to get it from your parents? No, you're not. I already tell you the answer. You're not going to get it from your parents, right? There's always a condition. Are you going to get it from your friends? No, you're not going to get unconditional love from your friends. And yet, you and I need unconditional, inexhaustible love. Over the past couple months, I've been helping my mom clean out uh, her apartment from th- of things that she doesn't need. Uh, I'm not the only one. My, my uncle's been coming in town, my brother's as well, but she's constantly trying to get rid of like old sweaters and t-shirts and shoes and, I, and some of them have been helpful. A lot of them though, don't tell her. I just put them in my closet and they stay there and they're going to stay there. Um, but as we were cleaning out some of the old files from my dad's uh, study, my mom pointed out to me an old college article that my dad wrote for his university paper. See, he was a nerd too, so um, he wrote for his university paper. The title of that article was this, Love 
economics. And his argument that he made in this article is that you can only give love away if you've been filled up with love. And he didn't say this, but the way I like to think of it is like a point system. Imagine, you, you know, I today was committed to you, and I hugged you, and I was with you, and I served you. You'd get like 100 points. But if you have been abused, if you've been hurt, if you've been shunned, if you've been, if you've been pushed to the side, you, you're in a love deficit. And then you can't turn around and give out love. Right? You can't do that. And the reason, that's actually the reason why we get so angry, usually abnormally so, when somebody hurts us and takes from us the love that we deserve and we're owed, we have to get mad and angry and stab them back and go back after them because I have to get back from them what they stole from me because if I don't, I'm not going to have the love that I need. And yet, what if we had an unlimited amount of love, a treasure chest of love that kept refilling every time it was depleted? Where can you actually get that kind of love? Well, in the Old Testament, as God pursues his people over and over and over again, what we read is it says there that God the Father I says, I saved you out of Egypt. And before anything else, I saved you. I'm not even asking anything. I, just, I already saved you and loved you, and I'm committed to you. That's infinite love that he provides And we read that in history, in the Old Testament, over and over and over again. Then you go fast forward to the New Testament, and there's Jesus on the cross. And what does he say on the cross? Does he say, make them pay because they took from me what I am owed? No. What does he say? He says, not only do they they know not what they do, he says, Father, forgive them. In other words, let them off from the love quotient. Let them off from what they owe. Is it possible that the Spirit is trying to say to you today, no matter what you believe, that Jesus died out of love for you by losing his love, you get love back. Is it possible that you might know that intellectually, but the reason why you're not living changed lives, the reason why you're going to walk out there and start thinking about lunch and dinner and what's next is because you've not let the profound nature of this love affect you. If any of you, if any of you comes up to me and says, Michael, you know, um, just to illustrate this, if any of you comes up to me right now and says, Michael, I hate you, you know, I'll be a little hurt, but I'm hoping hoping that I'm a New Yorker and I'll be like, okay, I don't really know you, whatever. If my wife came up to me and said, Michael, after 20 years of marriage, I hate you and I never want to see you again, that would be a lot more hurtful. And it'd be a lot more hurtful because of the depth of knowledge of knowing each other and caring for each other and loving each other. Because the longer the relationship, the more hurt when that relationship is over. So now try to think of an infinite relationship theoretically speaking, between God the Father and God the Son. And now cosmically that relationship is over. I don't think you and I can really fathom the degree of the pain and the hurt and the heartache. It's the greatest pain in ever existence. And yet, what, this, what the Bible is trying to say to you and me is you were worth it. You were desired so much so that the Lord of all existence was willing to give up internal interpersonal relationship for you, to bring relationship back to you. And the reason why the most loving thing that you can do today is to serve somebody else is because Jesus, in the ultimate act of love, served you. And so that's why if you place him at the center of your life, you and I will be able to love and serve other people. And we'll be able to do it with gifts in the context where we'll use our gifts properly and perfectly. 
Only in Christianity do you see how he served the unlovely in you, and that's going to be the only basis by which you're going to be able to serve the unlovely in others. Friends, there are, so other, there are a lot of other paradigms out there. I don't know of any other one that's as good as this one, the infinite treasure chest of God's love being poured into you so as other people are stealing from your treasure chest, you don't have to get it back from them. Only when we see what he did for us will we do that for others. Uh, last illustration, uh, Mother Teresa, uh, who w- served in India, she would always, often get the visitors from all around the world that try to come and try to sit at her feet and try to get wisdom. And so one time, there was this big CEO of a major company, and the question that she asked him was this. She said, what do you do for work? And he, you know, people who are at these positions love those questions. They're like, let me tell you, I know, here's what I do for work. And she interrupts him and says, no, 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 no. What do you really do for work? And he was perplexed. He goes, what do you mean? I just told you. And she goes, she said to him, That's, those things are not your job. If you want to know what your job is, your job, your only job is to know how much you are loved by God and then to love others with the overflow of that love. Period. That's our job. If we loved others with the overflow of love that we got, our gifts would manifest through that love. In powerful ways. I think it's easy to love others when they love you back, right? That's easy. Oh, I feel the love. It's a lot harder when we don't feel the love. But that's actually most of life. People hurting people. You hurting them. Them hurting you. And yet, what you have here is the ability to tap into the love of God. As Paul highlights, it's possible never to have a flashy gift The reason why there's there's this body and there's so many different gifts. There's flashy ones. There's non-flashy ones. But if you have this love in your life, there is no limit to what you can give out. You might not have a gift of leadership, but if you take on the, the love of Jesus and you operate out of that love, as your job, as Mother Teresa said, I think we can change the world. We can at least change how we interact with each other. We can change in how we see each other and act. And so that's with supernatural gifts or not. But put it in reverse. If you're going to walk out of here today and, and know that you're going to get bitter and mad at that person who's who hasn't given you what you deserve, if you can't get unstuck, if you can't let go, if you are staying in that funk, if you've been in a funk for a long time, this is the reason why. It's because you're not getting the love that you need. I'm, I'm, I'm actually agreeing with you. You're not getting what you need unless you realize you've already been given all the love that you could. And the question, I guess, before we leave is this. Will you tap into that love today? If you've been a Christian, maybe you've forgotten. You need to go back to Romans 8, right? And say over and over and over again, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. A little later on it says, for those who are led by the what? The Spirit, you are now children of God. You are the sons and daughters of the Most High God. If that's true, if that's really, really true, I don't know what mother or father that you have, what they did or didn't give you, but you are a son and daughter of the Most High God. I don't know what parent that you are or never will be or have been and not so great. You are the son and daughter of the Most High God. If today you're not a Christian, I, 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 if you're willing, still go to Romans 8 and look down further. It says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angel nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, 
our Lord. Meditate on that, please, if you're willing. Meditate on that until we let the experience of this love impact our life. And the thing about real love, folks, is you can't earn it, you can't buy it, you can't deserve it, you just have to receive it and sit in it. And you'll be surprised the powers and the gifts that will spill out through it. And the question is, is will you receive it today? I think gifts are good. What's great is there's a lot of gifts out there that, not, that Christians and non-Christians have. I'm glad that a lot of people have gifts. Because the world would be a lot worse place without them. But what we have offered here, when we're stuck, is knowing that the love of God for you, there's no better way when seeing him to be able to move out and live that out. And the question is, is will, we, will we let that overflow? Will that be our job today and tomorrow and the next day next day? The job is to realize the love and live out the overflow of that love in all of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I don't know if we know how loved we are, and I, and I, I cringe when I use that word because I know I'm asking everybody in this room and, and who are streaming in online to translate that word love. I don't think we know the depth of commitment and care and service and presence that you have devoted to us and that's available to us in an unlimited fashion. I pray that we did, Father. Paul is convinced that he has to tell everybody in the same breath of gifts is don't think too high of yourself and, and, and focus on love, Father. Let us be people that focus on this love, this experience. And as we do that, as that becomes our, our anthem, Father, that I, we pray, I pray that we will use our gifts. The reason why we're always navel-gazing, we're, we're looking inside, is that we don't feel that love, and then we don't use the gifts. I pray that we can and we will, and we will be cognizant and thoughtful and applicable of these gifts out in the world, now and always. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.